Okay, we're in um, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Jesus feeds the 4,000. During those days, another large crowd, crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to tell him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. Good. Thank you, Roberta. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Amen. Good to see everyone today. So if you're here for the first time, I'm Pastor Chris. Welcome to True Life. I want to say that to you. Good to have you. Brick High School, Old Brick. I think we're halfway through the summer at this point. This is kind of the halfway point. So we have uh, five or six more weeks here, and then we're going to be back at Brick Memorial. Um, we are finishing today our series, Powerful Prayers for Weak People. Next week, we're going to start the book of Proverbs, and we're going to start readings on uh, August 1st, and we're going to do a chapter a day. We're going to read that together and preach through that for five Sundays. So be prepared for that. Look uh, for emails and texts about that. But today, we're finishing this series uh, about practical, specific prayers we can pray to partner with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, His, His work in our hearts. Now, this is not a series on everything we should be praying for. There's a lot that Scripture tells us to pray for, but this is about uh, partnering with the Spirit's work in our hearts as He grows us, changes us, fills us, fills us, gives us boldness and wisdom. And today, uh, I want to touch on or, or, or look at the passage that Roberta just read because it struck me recently. It wasn't a part of the original plan to, to finish with this, but it struck me recently, that passage. W what struck me was how the disciples were skeptical about what Jesus could do to feed this large crowd. Now, if this was an isolated case, if this was an isolated uh, incident, then I could certainly understand them being skeptical. You and I would be skeptical. You know, Jesus is like, hey, large crowd, 4,000 people, most likely 4,000 men plus women and children. How am I going to feed all these guys? And the disciples, if we were them, we'd be like, there's no way. Send them home. But this wasn't an isolated incident. That's what gets me. This wasn't isolated. So far in the book of Mark, we're in chapter 8. Okay? Can you guys say it after me? 8? Eight? 8. Okay. Keep that in mind. We're in chapter 8 here. Mark's gospel, which was the first gospel account written, he made sure his readers knew that the disciples witnessed Jesus do a ton of miracles up to this point, let me just show you what Jesus has done, what the disciples have seen him do. First of all, in Mark, so far, he healed a man of an impure spirit in Capernaum. Then he healed many people later that night in Capernaum. The town was bringing a bunch of people there. Then he healed a man of leprosy. This is all in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he heals a paralyzed man. A man's paralyzed, and he says, get up, take your mat, go home. 
Then he healed a man with a shriveled hand. Mark chapter 3. He calmed a storm. Like he said to a storm, be still. Relax. And weather listened to him. And the disciples saw this. They witnessed this. They were amazed by this. He delivered a man who was oppressed by a demon in Mark chapter 5. Guy was nuts. And he made him right in his mind. He raised a girl from the dead, which was astounding. Uh, he healed a woman who touched the edge of his garment. She reached out, touched his garment. He didn't even know. He wasn't planning to heal her. She went, touched his garment. He's like, yo, who touched me? She's like, uh, I did. And she's healed. The disciples saw these things. He sent them out to do miracles. So he sent out his disciples. You go in my authority, heal, cast out demons. And they did it. And they were astounded by it. And then in he feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and fish. Now, what chapter are we in again? Eight. In Mark chapter 6, there's a bigger crowd, 5,000 men and women and children, and he fed them with a few loaves of fish and bread. Similar situation. Crowd's hungry. He says to his disciples, how am I going to feed them? They're like, ah, we don't know. And he fed them. And then a short time later, this is what gets me. Jesus did the same miracle twice. So the second miracle, the second time, which we just read, Jesus shows up, sees the crowds, does his thing. They're hungry. And he says to his disciples, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days. They've got nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they're going to collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered. Now, let's just pause. If you've already seen Jesus... Feed 5,000 men and women and children with a few loaves of bread and fish. I would think if I was them, I, I guess I just, I feel like I would, if it was us, we'd be like, oh snap. He's about to do it again. He's about to do what he just did a few weeks ago, right? He's about to do what we saw him do a short while ago. He's going to do another miracle. But that's not how they responded. Look how they responded. Look. There. Where in this remote place can we get enough bread to feed them? They've seen him do the supernatural time and time again, and yet their hearts revert back to the natural. They've seen him break the laws of science so many times, and yet when they face a problem, they view it through the lens of the limitations of the laws of science. They're like, we don't know. It's impossible. It's impossible. And isn't that like us? We see God do a work in our families or our marriages or, or providing for us. And then we face another problem. We're like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. I don't know what to do. And I'm not making fun of you guys. This is us. This is me. I'm like, gosh, life is so hard. So my final prayer for us is give me an expectant heart. Give me a heart that expects God to do a work when problems come and lack comes and we're feeling pressure. Give me a heart that says, oh snap, he's going to do something here. All the prayers we've covered so far, fill me with your spirit. Give me boldness. Give me wisdom. Reassure me of your love when we're feeling uh, filled with doubt or shame or guilt. All those prayers won't be prayed by us if we don't first have an expectant heart that believes that God will answer those prayers. Make sense? 
We have three prayer gatherings that happened every week. Happen every week. And um, one of them is Thursday morning. That's the one I lead at the, at the church office. And oftentimes, not every week, but oftentimes, I, I purposely, intentionally end our time of praying by praying, God, give us a confidence that when we walk out of this office, you're going to respond to the prayers we just prayed. That things are going to happen that wouldn't happen if we didn't just pray these prayers. Give us an expectant heart. Because that's what the Bible teaches, that prayer changes things. That God is sovereign, he's in control, and yet, at the same time, he has ordained that our prayers actually make things happen. It's hard to understand. We can't explain it. I can't reconcile those two things. We'll understand one day when we see him face to face. But we can trust it, and we can live in light of it. And that's why I pray that prayer. And I don't pray it because I see the people in that group as pessimistic Eeyores. It's because I see in my own heart this lack of expectation. I often wake up on a Thursday morning thinking about what I have to do, and I go, oh, but I got to do the prayer gathering first. And you know why I feel that way? Because it doesn't always feel productive. Prayer doesn't always feel productive, does it? I'm a task-oriented guy. I like to see things get checked off a list. I like to see an email inbox move from 80 to 50. It feels productive. Prayer doesn't always feel productive. And so there's a part of me that's like, Ugh. but that's because I'm not expectant that God's going to move in response to prayer. I'll be honest again. Sometimes I don't feel like coming to church on Sundays. Am I the only one? I doubt it. I doubt it. How many kids get pulled here by your parents and you're like, I don't want to go? Kids, can, you can be honest. Not honest or not paying attention. Because <laughs> they don't want to be here. I often don't want to feel like, come on, oh man, I got this, this and that. And I think about it. And I, sometimes I'm like, oh, the volunteers, all the work that goes in. And I feel, I feel bad for some, sometimes volunteers. And I don't, I don't, expect God to move, if I was honest. Sometimes I have to ask God, like, God, why don't I feel like going? Remember the prayer, search my heart? God, search my heart. What's going on here? And God shows me, you don't expect me to move. You don't expect me to do something. You don't expect anything of eternal value to happen through interactions and people praying for each other or preaching. I'm like, yeah, I don't expect that. Why don't I expect that? What's wrong with me? Give me an expectant heart, Lord, today. Here's a specific recent example. Tuesday morning, I was out with my dog. Tuesday was two days after I preached the message, send me. Remember that message, send me? If you were here last week, if you're on a every other week schedule, you, you wouldn't remember it. But if you're here last week, <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but I preached, send me, right? Help me to go out, represent you, be an ambassador for your kingdom, um, we talked about the need to be open to divine interruptions, right? I shared how I myself have to be more open to being interrupted. So Tuesday morning, I'm out with my dog. It's 7.30. I had already prayed and I read the Bible. And you would think I'd be expecting that God's going to respond to what we talked about on Sunday. I bump into a neighbor. I, I know her. We have a rapport. She's an older woman. She starts talking to me. My first reaction is to think, here's my talkative neighbor. So I'm with my dog, and I'm like, yep, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Trying to give the indication that we're leaving now. We're going, me and my dog. 
you got to wrap this up, right? And then she mentioned um, a diagnosis she just recently got. And then it was like God was like, dude, you just talked about this two days ago. So then I pulled my dog back, and I was like, all right, you know, tell me more. <laughs> and um, it was, I, I asked her, I said, hey, is it, is it curable? And she said, no, no, doctor says it's not curable. And it's not life-threatening, but again, she's older, so the doctor said, you can't walk your dog anymore. And she's active. She's an active woman. She loves to walk her dog. And it was sad. So I was like, you know, I'm going to pray that that gets, God does a miracle there. And oh, thank you. I'll pray the same thing. And then I just felt like God was like, pray right now, fool. So I was like, let's pray now. And she's like, okay. So I put my hand on her shoulder and we prayed together. It was a good moment. Um, still waiting and believing and hoping that miracle happens for her diagnosis. I would have missed it though because I didn't have an expectant heart because I had my plan and I pray, God, send me out, but I don't really expect you to interrupt me that much. I'll let you know when I tell you you can interrupt me. So I need to have an expectant heart more often. Meetings that come up, I'm like, oh man, I don't feel like I'm having this meeting because I don't expect God to do something there. Conversations that are difficult sometimes. I don't want to have the conversation because I don't expect God to do a work. Give me an expectant heart. Now, a question that you might ask that I would ask if I were you because I've been asking it um, is does having an expectant heart lead to more prayers being answered or circumstances changing? That's a question I, I, I've, I've wrestled with um, because I've said, and I believe the Bible teaches that our faith is not to be in our faith, right? Like we're, our faith is going to waver. It's going to be weak at times. Uh, you know, uh, I, I heard this from someone. You can, you know, it's better to have weak faith in a strong branch than strong branch in a our strong faith in a weak branch. If our faith is in our faith, that's a weak branch, right? God's not saying, you know what? You've got a C plus faith today. Ain't listening to these prayers. That's not how it works. That's not what he does. Our faith, though, it can be in him if it's weak. As long as it's in him, strong branch. The disciples here, they didn't have a strong faith, right? And what did Jesus do? He did the miracle. He fed the, the multitudes. He reminded them once again, I'm faithful even when you lack faith in order to build our faith. So our faith isn't our faith. And so in that sense, uh, expectation doesn't, um, uh, you know, tie God's hands behind his back. However, I do think expectation changes things, changes outcomes. Um, and I'm going to give three, three reasons why I think that. I think expectation changes things. Number one, uh, our expect expectation leads to us praying more. We already established that prayer changes things, right? We already established that Jesus taught, you know, keep on knocking, keep on asking. He told parables about that. Keep bugging me. Be persistent in prayer. The Apostle Paul said, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You see an opportunity. You see a hardship. You see a pain point. You feel tension in your soul. Pray, pray, pray. We are going to pray more if we have an expectation that God is going to do something, Right? And if prayer changes things, then having an expectant heart will lead to more prayer, which will lead to more things changing. Does that make sense? The, summer, the Summer's Farm update that Bob just shared, what Bob didn't share, I hope it's okay. I, I, I know we're like online and stuff. Um, 
There is, you guys will probably be hearing about it, so yeah, I think I can share it. There's a neighbor that Art wanted us to contact because he said that she's not going to be for us doing this. She's probably going to be against us and probably try to get other neighbors against it and go to the township. I had a conversation with that neighbor. Nice woman, kind woman, sweet woman, but she is against us doing this. Um, If I was not a follower of Jesus and somebody wanted to do a church next to my house, I'd probably be against it as well. Property value is changing. The, the makeup of the neighborhood is going to change. I, I get it. She made it clear. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to try to fight this. So we can pray, and we will, that those efforts don't succeed, right? We can pray that. But what if we had a greater expectation that God would do a work in her heart to such a degree that he gets a hold of it, that she becomes a follower of Jesus, maybe even that she becomes part of our community. Maybe one day she's uh, sharing her testimony and getting baptized with us. Because here's the thing. We know from God's word that that's his will, to get a hold of our hearts and trusting in Jesus. We don't know from God's word that it's his will for us to have a building on Summer's Farm. We can discern and pray and think, feel. I think we, we think so. It's pretty unanimous in many ways. But we don't know from his word, and yet we're prone to pray more for what is an urgent need rather than what seems like an impossible thing. Somebody against us having a church, but God can do such a work. And sometimes we don't meet those situations and go, oh, what an opportunity, God. What a story this would be of your glory, your power, your grace breaking through and opening eyes. So expectation leads to more praying. That's why we need to pray for us to have an expected heart so that then we would pray. Number two, our expectation leads to steps of faith. If we have an expectant heart, if we really believe that God moves in response to our prayers, we will step out of the boat more often. We will take risks more often. We will sacrifice more often because we believe Jesus will catch us. I've used this before. My daughter jumping into my arms when she, when, when, you know, all of them, when, when they were li- little. They jump into my arms from like a high step. Daddy, you know, catch me. There's a thrill of jumping, if, and it's only a thrill if they know I'm going to catch them. Right? But if they don't think I'm going to catch them, they're going to stay put, and they won't experience the thrill of jumping. Expectation does cause us to take risks that we otherwise wouldn't take. Uh, the woman, I already referenced it, the woman with the blood flow that Jesus healed, the one who said, I'm going to touch the edge of his garment and I'll be healed. That woman wouldn't have been healed if she didn't expect to be healed because she wouldn't have pushed through the crowds that day. She would have stayed home. She was bleeding for 12 years. That made her unclean. She wouldn't have been out in public with a group of people. She would have been criticized and condemned for doing that. But she expected to be healed and made clean that day. So she pushed through crowds. She risked how people were looking at her. Isn't this the woman who da-da-da-da-da? And she pushed through just to touch the edge of his garment. If we don't have expectant hearts, we're not going to do things like that. We'll stay put and we'll miss. If we don't have an expectant heart, we might not be as generous with our money because we don't believe God's going to provide for us. Oh no, God, I got to hold on here. I really wanted to use this, my money for this or that. I don't really believe you're going to come through for me, so I'm going to hold on, even though I feel compelled to give to this cause or give to this family. Maybe it's just the gift of contentment. God, if I give this up, I want to use this money for me or what I want to do here. 
but I believe and expect you're to make me content with what I have, and I'm going to let go of it over here. Personal rifts and offenses within a family, marriages, community. If we don't have an expectant heart that God can melt our hearts and uh, give us eyes to love each other, we're not going to try to have that conversation. We're going to say, well, I tried already. Now I just better avoid them. But if we have an expectant heart, we're going to be like, no, I'm going to call them up. Hey, let's try it again. Let's meet again. But we already met three times. That's fine. Let's do it again. Because at some point, God's going to show us where we're off. And he's going to give us a gift to repent to each other and apologize to each other and understand each other. Because he's a God who, who unifies and reconciles. That's who he is. But if we don't expect it, then we'll close us, our, ourselves off. We'll be defensive. We'll be protective. So an expectation leads to steps of faith. If we really believe that Jesus is at work, we'll take those steps of faith. And lastly, number three, our expectation leads to joy. Our expectation leads to joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those are birthed by the Holy Spirit in us. They show what the character of Jesus is like. They are um, hints and tastes of what the future kingdom will be like when it's ushered in its fullness. So Jesus wants us to have joy. We're commanded time and again, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Expectation leads to joy. Sometimes in the morning, I read the Bible every morning, okay? I don't know if I've maybe, maybe missed a handful of days in the last 20 years. Every morning, all right, I get up, I read the Bible. Okay, right way. Sometimes, however, I read it just to read it. And I move on, and I don't know, I don't really get anything out of it, I read it. Like, my mind's elsewhere. You ever do that? You're reading and your mind's elsewhere? So then you reread it again, and after a third time, I'm like, all right, I tried. Well, as I've gotten older or, or closer to Jesus, he's more likely, or I can kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm more sensitive to him showing me when my heart is off. It's like the more you mature in Jesus, the more he shows you that your heart's more off than you thought it was. I don't know if you ever realized that. Um, so he'll show me like, hey, you're not reading with this expectation that I'm going to speak to you. And so he'll show it to me, and I confess that, God, I'm not really expecting you to speak to me. I got to be honest. Help me have expectation. And he'll change my heart to where I'm reading it. And I'm like, okay, I, now I believe you are going to speak to me. Now I believe that this anxiety and worry that I have over here, it actually is going to be dealt with through me reading your word. You're going to show me something for it. This morning that happened. I woke up at 5. There was a bunch of things rolling around. I was like, man, Lord, I'm trying to. I was like, Lord, you got to speak to me today. And he did. And so that makes me read with joy. Like, okay, okay, maybe there's not something directly related to this situation, but I know that maybe later on this, today or this week, you're going to bring to mind what I read this morning, and it's, it's going to be needed. So I'm reading with joy. You ever go to a wedding that you don't want to go to? Or a family function you don't want to go to? Anybody? It's okay, you can raise your hand. It's okay. Your family won't be that offended. And if they are, maybe they'll understand why you don't want to go to those family things. Sometimes I catch myself, I'm like, I don't really want to go. And I'm like, why? 
Because I don't expect God to bring something meaningful out of it. And so I got to pray, Lord, help me to have me- meaningful conversations. Use this time. Hey, bless me or help me to bless somebody else. Give me this sense of expectation at this social gathering that I don't expect to be very interesting or meaningful or productive. Heighten my sense of expectation. Last year, I'll end with a uh, last example. Last summer, I've always battled anxiety, but never like depression. I never understood that. I know people who have, and oftentimes it looks very opposite to what, what anxiety looks like for me. For people with depression, sometimes it looks like I'm checking out, I'm escaping, I want to sleep. I know it doesn't always look like that. For me, anxiety is like the opposite. I'm checking in. I'm dealing with this. We're going to fix it. Don't sleep, right? Don't have time to sleep. Um, so I've, I've battled that, and God's done a work there. But then last summer, last summer, I, I maybe fell into this depression. I don't know. I just wanted to be home. I just wanted to be with my family. Um, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't feel like doing anything with you guys or anybody else. Extended family. I didn't, like, I didn't feel like, dude, like, I didn't feel like going to a meeting. I didn't feel like, and I was like, God, what's going on? And I remember, like, I found out something, like, negative happened. And I remember I, I was out with my dog. And I was like, God, I, why don't I care about this? Like, what's going on? And so it was like a summer-long thing. And um, I remember I was talking to Danny Dornacker in, in my office about it. I was just sharing it with him. And I was like, yeah, I don't really feel like, you know, being with you right now. I don't know. Um, I was like, I don't feel like doing stuff. And we came out of my office, and there was a note from somebody who said, hey, I stopped by. You were meeting with somebody. You know, call me. There's a situation. And I was like, ah. And Danny was like, I, don't, I forget what the words he, he used, but he was like, step in, go shepherd. Like, 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 it, was, it felt like, like wake up, kind of like. And um, like have some expectations here. That's not the words he used. So I, I called that person, and they were sharing uh, about a struggle, a family issue. But there was something about how they were sharing it. This, 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 it seemed like they had an expectation that God was on the move. And that was like contagious for me. And then all of a sudden, I was like, yeah, yeah, I think God's up to something here with your family. And, 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 and as we kind of navigated that um, and saw God moving there, it started to like bleed out. And by September, I was excited again. And, and, and I was expecting again and eager to see God at work in, in our church and our church community and through our church community out in the world. And that expectation led to joy where I wanted to see you guys again. And I wanted to, you know, navigate difficulties and the ups and downs again because I had this joy that God was on the move. And he's working, and he's redeeming, and he's healing, and he's intervening. Expectation leads to joy, a fruit of the Spirit that God wants us to have because it propels our work for him, our sacrifice for him. It allows us to jump off the stairs into his arms and go, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to catch me. Now, again, this is a prayer. Give me an expecting heart. We cannot will this up on our own. We cannot manufacture it, and we should not feel guilty for lacking it. We pray it. God does miracles to give us that expectation like he did with the fish and loaves in this case. He's like, guys, you may not be expecting. Let me do it again. Boom. To build their faith. But he also gives us what the disciples at this time didn't have, which was his spirit. 
The disciples in the book of Acts look very different than they did before Jesus died and rose again because he gave them his spirit. And by his spirit, he changes us. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21 says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Within us. Not just out there in circumstances, but in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So when we feel like, man, I'm too much of an Eeyore to even have expectation, oh, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you can even imagine. You may not be, be able to imagine the breakthroughs happening in situations, um, relationships being reconciled, miracles happening in, in physical bodies, emotional wounds. You might not be able to even imagine it. All glory to him who is able to do more than you can ask or imagine. Now at that, I would like you to turn your attention to the screen. We are going to watch a video testimony from Roberta Amicton. This was originally shot as a promotion for Empower. Empower is a program for women uh, that, that, that deals with um, theological uh, training, but also soul care issues. Um, it runs September through May of every year. It's intense. Um, after this video, I'll, I'll talk more about it for a moment. That's why this video was originally shot, but I thought it would go well as an ending to this series because you'll see that God did a work in Roberta more than she could ask or imagine. So, let's play it. I decided to do Empower because um, on the last day of the sign-up, uh, Jeannie stood up there and she said, if you're going to do something for yourself, let this be it. So I did that. At that moment, it was the pinnacle of a lot of things that I wanted to go my way weren't going my way um, in life. And I was just like, fine, I'm just going to do this and it's going to be for me. And there was absolutely no expectations going into it. It wasn't all at once. If anything, my actually first day at Empower, I wasn't happy. <laughs> like, I was exhausted. I'm up and I don't have enough coffee in me. And the actual first meeting that we did at the end with the group actually was really bad. It, it reinforced lies that were in my head. Um, the lies that I grew up with was damaged. Um, broken, um, not enough, and not worthy. The women I was in the group with, they all got to talk about their story and where they came from. And at the very end, the one mentor looked at my time and she said, okay, you have about 10 minutes, see what you can do. You know, and while everyone got like half an hour, 40 minutes, so I felt like rejected already. The anger, resentment, and pain um, all came from my childhood. So there was five of us girls and I was the youngest one. And I dealt with um, my father's drug and alcohol use and um, abuse in the family. Growing up, um, becoming a teenager, being a little bit more rebellious, I started putting up more and more walls and 
I just felt like if somebody that's supposed to be my father, my parents, if they can hurt me and they can do this, I couldn't imagine what someone I don't know could do. I almost feel like I had um, a certain personality that I was putting on a front, like a certain face that a lot of people didn't know the true me, the more shy, the more reserved, because it was easier to just be a little bit more out there. It was easier to be a little bit more boisterous and loud. To me, it wasn't the real me, so I wasn't gonna get hurt. It was a struggle to believe that God was just and holy, you know, the Father. I would see things that go on in my life or other people's lives that I felt didn't deserve the pain and um, didn't feel like anything was being done. And that kind of reminded me of my own childhood. What Changed was one of the last books that I read. It was called Surrender to Love. And that was my least favorite book because <laughs> every single word in there was love, love, love. And it, I didn't realize that the word love was such a trigger for me. It was very annoying to read it. <laughs> it must have been a thousand times it said love. But then we go on and we process it and we write our papers. And all it took was for me to just say I believe it. And then once I just said that I believed it, it's like I started to see where God was every single moment, whether it be when I was a child or when I was a teen, throughout my life, even in Empower, I started to, like my eyes were open to where he was there for me. I feel I've always had an issue with women I felt like I could never trust them. Because when you're a woman, you know, when you're talking, you're really exposing like the true you. And with guys, you can kind of put a put up a front and it's fine because guys are just guys and they're easy. And um, with women, we know when the other one's lying. <laughs> we know when they're being fake. It was one woman in particular that kept pursuing me. Like, like God would, you know, she kept pursuing relationship she kept pursuing um heart to hearts with me and just and having her there it was like it was like having um a mom it just really helped establish my relationship with the other women and so i started to accept the love of other women as well. How I feel now, how I feel I've changed is I'm not as guarded. I'm thankful to have everybody around, but I don't put this burden on others that I did before. I allow them to just be them. You know, sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. I feel like even with my own family, with my uh, husband and son, I see them even more amazing than I did before. Two days before Empower ended, I got a voicemail from my dad, and it sounded a little belligerent like normal, um, but unlike 
what I would normally do of putting a wall up and just ignore the phone call like I hadn't gotten it. I actually was on my way to the store and I made it a point to give him a phone call right back. He's normally met with, you know, once I call back, you know, you want to talk to your mom and I'll usually say yes, but this time I said no, like I really just wanted to talk to him. And we were on the phone for over half an hour and um, I was walking throughout the store trying to hold back tears because um, this same man that's hurt me, hurt my son, hurt my husband, my family. Um, I just didn't have that resentment anymore. Each time I said I love you, I meant it with each question I asked him. And it was like seeing him in an entirely different light. And when I was driving on my way back home from the store, it had occurred to me that um, he didn't have to ask for forgiveness because I had already forgiven him. And that I know wasn't me because I wouldn't have done it on purpose. It was like something changed inside of me that desired that. And I remember having this dream, I was talking to Max, and in the dream I was telling him how it's not so much a theological thing anymore. I was like, it traveled to my heart. Uh, the Empower program is certainly not the only way that God does a work in us, um, but it is a tool, it is a vehicle, and when we dismiss, we're gonna, uh, I'll give instructions about how you can find out more about it, as well as uh, uh, showcase the women who have been through it. Um, but what we're gonna do now is I'm gonna call up the band and our prayer team. Because as we end this series, if there's a need for a breakthrough in any way for you, Maybe you have somebody that you need to forgive like Roberta did her father. Maybe you just know that you're guarded too often, too much, too easily. Um, maybe you just don't have expectation with your prayers. Maybe you need boldness. Anything that we've talked about in this series, I want to encourage you to come be prayed for by somebody on our prayer team. There's Pastor Bill over there. There's Jess over there. Pastor Rigo. Frank and Lisa Martinez. Um, Roberta, I didn't talk to you about this, but could you be available as well? Wherever you are. Thank you, Roberta. Roberta will be down here if her video story resonated with anyone in a more personal way, or maybe you just know her and are friends with her and would like her to pray for you. Um, so the band's gonna lead us, so if you could sing, um, I'm sorry, if you could stand, but then sing. <laughs> 